All right, awesome. It is great to see everybody here this morning. Uh, happy Easter to you all. I know Matt already said that, but let me say it as well. Happy Easter, everybody. Everybody is looking so good this morning. We got all kinds of bright colors out in the crowd. Easter in the springtime carries along the idea always of something new and bright and glorious, new life. How many people got a new outfit for today? Raise your hand up really, really high. All right. How many grown men got a new outfit for today? Oh, yep. Good, good, good. Well, awesome. Today is one of those great, incredible days that we gather together to celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. My name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy and honor and privilege to be able to share with you guys here for just a couple of minutes here this morning. There's probably several different groups of people that are here gathered this morning. The first group of people is one that, you know, they're perhaps part of our community here at Northwest Community Church, and you're, you're part of our family here, and you are gathered here today because you want to collectively worship God for the victory that he had over sin and death, all right? And the picture almost came to my mind like a ticker tape parade, all right? Anybody ever been to one of those? Your sports team in your city won a championship or the Super Bowl or whatever it was, right? And you gather with all these other rabid fans lining the street and you're just cheering and celebrating as all this stuff has come down because you're celebrating your victory, right? You're picturing that? That's kind of what it is, kind of like multiplied by a thousand for many of us here that love God, that belong to Jesus, and here we are on Easter Sunday, and this is our celebration, this is our victory gathering. Yeah, there it is, right? But honestly, think about this though, that's what makes it so significant. My eyes popped open, I barely slept, uh, slept last night, truth be told, but that's one of the things I was thinking about this morning, is I can't wait to gather with other people that I know know Jesus and to celebrate collectively, all right? A ticker tape parade by yourself would be no fun. It would be really weird. It would be like taking a shower in, you know, all these confetti completely by yourself, not taking a shower like in a weird way. I just lost some of you. You know what I mean. By yourself doesn't make any sense, but when you gather here with people that you know and love and you're part of this church community, that's what gets us fired up. Like I know you guys, I know Joe over here and I know Bill over here and I know Matt over here, of course, and I know John over there, I know Nick right there, there's Danny over, you know, I, I know all of these people and families gather and people gather, your friends and it's like a collective celebration. And that's exciting. That's one group of people that's here. Maybe there's a group of people here that, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's Easter Sunday, so we really should go to church. You know, it's kind of like maybe church isn't necessarily your way of life or it's not really in the rhythm of your family or you personally, but it's like, all right, it's Easter Sunday, so I'm kind of chasing after some nostalgia or I remember going to church growing up and I kind of want to capture a little bit of that, so let's go to church and, and you're here visiting with us. You guys are welcome. Thank you for coming. But there is something about that, right? Like some of us can remember when we were growing up and those feelings and, and those services and, and those certain songs and that joy and it's like, man, I want to chase back after that. I want to get that again and maybe for some of you that have young families you're like all right well we want to bring our kids in and we want them to know the easter story so let's go back to church and sure you know right now in northwest kids are doing crafts and, and they're doing some things and talking about the easter story and it's great but there's something about that i remember several years ago my son caden who's 14 now probably about 10 years ago he was maybe three or four and we went to an easter service you know and and they did a little craft and he came back with it and he was just kind of staring at it you know, three or four-year-old boys, I don't know who, who's got them, if you remember, that they're just kind of intrigued with violence, right? You know what I mean? Like, you can be talking to them about anything, it's like, eh, it doesn't matter about, wait, they're swords? 
involved? Hold on, somebody's getting beat up, like all of a sudden they're paying attention. I mean, that's just the way it was. So he was staring at this, and it was a picture depicting the scene. You remember the story of, um, you know, of Jesus when he was arrested and crucified, and it was when Jesus was on the cross, and the soldiers were holding up uh, you know, a giant sponge filled with liquid because Jesus said, I thirst. It was depicting that scene, and Caden was just staring at it. He was just taking it in. I'm like, hey, buddy, what's... What's going on in that picture, man? What was happening there? And he had this really low voice back there. He's like, Dad, you soldiers, <laughs> they put Jesus on the cross. Uh-huh. And then they tried to feed him a giant meatball. <laughs> well, not really, but we'll just let it slide for now. And I'm like, well, it does kind of look like a giant meatball. But anyway, maybe it's the nostalgia. Like, we should be here and like, all right, Easter's a big deal. And like, all right, maybe that's some of you. You're welcome here. Maybe for some... Let's be honest, you really don't want to be here, all right? Maybe it's like, all right, we need to make grandma happy, or you need to make your spouse happy happy once a year, or the family you're visiting from out of town. It's kind of like, all right, whatever I can do just to tolerate this service this morning, and then we'll get on to the rest of the day and the food and everything else, and you're just kind of passing the time, right? It's been said before, and it's a proven fact, that the number one word people associate with the word church is the word boring. Okay, so maybe some of you are like, all right, just get on with it, you know. Kind of reminds me a few uh, years ago, I was at the DMV, which is one of those places where you're just waiting for it to be over, right? But they actually had a TV in there, and Jeopardy was on. So I'm like, all right, cool, at least something will engage me while I'm waiting for this to be over. So I'm hoping if that's your mindset, we're glad that you're here as well, you're welcome, and we hope that you will be engaged just for a few minutes and that your mind and your heart can, can be with us here. As we discuss something incredibly important, as we discuss and as we join together with approximately 2.2 to 2.5 billion other people on this planet that would claim the name of Christ, one third approximately of the planet would say that they belong to Jesus Christ, would at least claim that, but they are all gathered in one way or another around this planet, probably most of them not in a place that looks like this, but they are all gathered and they are all singing and they are all hearing uh, the same things in worshiping our God and coming to the point where we can really understand what is Easter all about. It's pretty incredible if you think about it. Another interesting thing about today is it just so happens to be an interesting day because today is what? April Fool's Day. How ironic is that, that Easter falls on April 1st? And if you think about the idea that one third of the people are somehow worshiping whether or not their hearts truly belong to God, at least they're there um, and saying that it is, but man, how ironic that if none of this were true and if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this would be the greatest April Fool's prank ever pulled in the history of the world. Because a third of the population is saying, yep, this is worthy of my time. I'm going to believe this. But you know, this idea that maybe the resurrection didn't take place and maybe we're just all wasting our time here is not new. 2,000 years ago when the New Testament was written, the Apostle Paul actually addressed that very idea. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to what he says. Okay, Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. This stuff going on right here, waste of time. Furthermore, he says, if Christ isn't raised, so is your faith. Anybody that's in here that says, yes, I buy in, yes, I believe, that's a waste of time if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He says, furthermore, in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, those people that have already passed away, there's no hope for them. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And listen to this line. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life 
only. If this is all there is, the 70 or 80 or 90 years that we live as humans on this planet, Paul says we are of all people most to be pitied. We're the biggest fools around if none of this really happened. Well, I believe that this happened and I believe that our time here together is orchestrated by God and I'm excited to share what the Lord has laid on my heart. And again, if you are visiting with us, we just, we thank you for entrusting us with with your time. And uh, what I really wanted to do this morning is I wanted to encapsulate a very complicated, incredible story of Jesus, encapsulate it in a very simple way. As a matter of fact, I would really like to define the whole um, Good Friday, Passion Week, before that to Easter Sunday. I want to combine all of that and explain it to you in two very simple symbols, two keystrokes that are on your computer or on your smartphone. You probably use them every single day, but they can encapsulate the whole entire story of Jesus, and they can encapsulate the story of your life. And the first one that I want to talk about is the question mark. If there was any symbol that encapsulated what everybody was feeling on Thursday night and on Friday of Passion Week, it was a question mark. A question mark is waiting for an answer. A question mark says confusion. It says, I don't know. What time's this service supposed to be over? Where are we headed for lunch? Should I wear this on Easter Sunday or not? How many people had that conversation last night? Right, but you're waiting for something. There's a space that needs to be filled with an information. And Thursday night and Friday, the disciples and the early followers of Jesus were filled with fears and anxieties and unanswered questions. This man, this Messiah, who they'd been following around for three years and listening to and watching him heal people and hearing truth come from his mouth, this man that they believed was going to be the one to overthrow Rome and to be the Savior, to be the Messiah, to finally bring about peace, to finally bring about justice in the face of tyranny, this one that they had given up their livelihood and left their families and left their possessions in order to follow him and believe that this was the new king and the new kingdom. They believed it all. And yet he was arrested. He was mocked. He was beaten and he was murdered. Messiahs don't die. Saviors aren't put on a cross. And so you can imagine at those moments how their lives were just unbelievably marked by this confusion. I want to bring you to the story and enter into the story here on Thursday night, which was the Last Supper. You'll remember that Jesus was there with his disciples, and the scripture has the account that as Jesus was there and after the, the dinner was ended, it says they sang a hymn and then they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. They sang a hymn. So here's Christ opening their eyes in this Last Supper and the Passover Seder and really letting them know again, this is my body which is going to be given to all of you and this, this wine is the blood of my new covenant and all these other things that they weren't quite really understanding. But Jesus knew what was happening and it says, then Jesus sang a hymn and then they went out. Aren't you curious to know what that song would have been? But from the account of scripture, we can be quite sure that we know what he sang. See, Jesus was a rabbi, and Jesus followed the law, and there was a certain order to the Passover Seder, including singing certain songs in order, and it was Psalm 114 to Psalm 118, and so the last song that he would have sang was Psalm 118. 
And just imagine these words coming out of the Savior's mouth as he knows he's only a matter of hours, maybe even minutes, from being betrayed and being mocked and being beaten and being scorned and having his father ultimately turn his back on him as he took on the sin of the world. Imagine what Jesus was going through as these words were coming out of his mouth. Here's a couple lines from Psalm 118, that very song. Verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. For what can man do to me? This psalm was written a thousand years before this. But it's all coming true. Think about this line. The Lord is on my side as my helper. Jesus is singing. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Think about what he was going to be viewing in the next 24 hours. How about this one? I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord, he helped me. You think about that account and you think about Jesus carrying the wooden cross and falling in pain and in agony. And I couldn't help but picture as I was going through this, a scene that happened just this morning. We had a bunch of people here setting all this stuff up and, and this cross right here was, was built by one of our members and it is incredibly heavy. It's built right out of railroad ties. And it took about six or seven guys full-grown men that are carrying this together right up up onto the stage and struggling with it and the picture came to my mind of like man this is exactly what happened with Christ but he didn't have that kind of support he carried his cross and he stumbled and he fell prophesied how about this one Jesus said the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this very one me your messiah bringing you truth and love and prophesied about has been rejected people didn't believe the people got angry people falsely accused him but it is going to become the cornerstone Jesus is going to become the one that everything is built off of and how about this last one this is the day that the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it can you imagine those words coming out of our Savior's mouth knowing what he had to go through this is the day that God's made. This is my appointed time. In the book of John, he says, this is what I was created for. Lord, glorify your son. Now is the time. I will rejoice and I will be glad in this. You see, my friends, it was no accident that Jesus was crucified. This was planned out before the foundations of the world for God to display his incredible love for us. And Jesus at this point said, well, this is the day that the Lord has made. Here we go. Think about these passages of Scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. says, And this is love. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. This whole weekend was the ultimate display of sacrificial love. And think about this statement. The cross proved once and for all that Jesus loved you to death. This was the hinge point of history. You can think about it even as like a tale of two gardens. Because it all started in the Garden of Eden, right? In Genesis chapter uh, 1 through 3. Man was created. Man and woman had fellowship with God. But then man and woman both sinned. Think about it this way. In the Garden of Eden... Man said, not your will, God, but mine. But Jesus comes on the scene in the garden now of Gethsemane and says, God, not my will, but yours be done. He redeemed the choice that we made in Genesis. And that's been affecting us ever since.
Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Five or six hundred years before Jesus even walked the face of the earth, this was written about what the Messiah would do. It says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Humanity was broken. And Jesus and God the Father had the cure once and for all. So if Friday night was a question mark, we've got no option to look at Sunday morning and see that that was the exclamation point. Amen? You think about what that means, an exclamation point means there's certainty, there's assuredness, there's an excitement about it. You ever have somebody that texts you and every single one has an exclamation point at the end? Yeah, I know people like that, and I've been guilty of that. But Sunday morning was the exclamation point. Death was no more. Sin, darkness, evil, shame, guilt. Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave and declared victory for us once and for all. I could take the next 10 minutes or the next hour or the next 10 hours and explain to you and try to convince you how we know that this was a historical fact, okay? Just by way of a couple brief things, it was prophesied, you know, up to a thousand years before Christ that this would be the Messiah. 300 specific references of prophecy in the Old Testament. 60 very specific things that Nobody else would even come close to being the solution or the answer to those prophecies. There was a profound change in his disciples. They went from being fearful and timid and uneducated to being bold and confident and leading movements. You could talk about the character of the disciples. Remember, these were good Jewish boys who believed in the Ten Commandments and believed in the Old Testament. And so they believed that idolatry or following after a false god would be an incredible offense worthy of hell. But yet, they were so convinced that Jesus was truly God, they started a whole movement following him. Why would they follow a lie? Furthermore, why would they commit to doing such other awful things, like giving everything they have to the poor and sharing all their possessions? What possible gain could have come from that if it was just a collusion of people making something up? If it was a story, it was a very poorly crafted story that nobody would have believed. We've mentioned before that unfortunately women were not respected in that culture. Women's testimony or their word was not believed in a court of law. So if you were just making up this story, why would you have women be the first ones that discovered it? It doesn't make any sense. Furthermore, the body was stolen. How could that be? These Roman guards were professional executioners, and these guards would have been killed if they didn't do their job. Jesus didn't really die. Again, professional executioners. He was wrapped in 75 pounds of fabric and spices. He was all alone for three days in a cave with no food and no water in darkness. It just doesn't make sense. But probably one of the biggest reasons, among dozens, is that his disciples died for the cause. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred and murdered. And the other one, John, was locked away on an island until he was an old man. 
If they were just together uh, propagating this lie and creating this new religion, don't you think at some point they would have wanted to kind of give up and give in? Don't you think when the swords were drawn and when they're about ready to be headed, when the nails and, and the cross were being prepared and they're about ready to be crucified, and like the apostle Peter, as history tells us, was crucified even upside down with his wife? Don't you think at some point in all of the pain and the agony would have been like, um, okay guys, gigs up, I've got something to tell you. We made it all up. It was a nice run, but let me down now. They were so convinced that this was real. They were willing to give their lives. The resurrection of Christ we can be sure of. But Easter Sunday and the victory that Jesus had over the grave allows for a second resurrection. That exclamation point can be put in a secondary nature as well. Because what that did for us is that allowed us the opportunity to have a new life as well. Watch this brief story of two of our members and their resurrection story spiritually going from death to life because of what Jesus did. Watch us. We are Stan and Lisa Mills, and this is our story. We didn't have God in our family. Um, when we were little kids, my mom would have to bribe us to go to church. She would bribe us with ice cream or to go bowling, and that worked for a while. But being a strong-willed kid that I was, and my dad never went to church, so therefore, I kept asking, well, why do I have to go if dad's not going? So therefore, my mom lost the battle and we ended up just stopped going to church. And so then through middle school and through high school, I had no faith whatsoever. Well, for me growing up, uh, again, God was not part of our life. So again, yeah, like Stan, I did not have any kind of thought of God in my life. And if I did have an idea of God, I saw him as an angry, judgmental God. So uh, Lisa and I met um, at her brother's pizza restaurant. So as 18 years old, she was 17 years old. We, we dated for 10 years. And we broke up a couple times in between those 10 years, but we, we hung in there and we reconnected. and. A few years later, we got married. It was important for Lisa to find a church to get married in. And I wanted nothing to do with it, really. I mean, let's just get married, be done with it, and move on. And when we went to the church, and they started interviewing us because they wanted to find out if we were believers or not, and they started asking questions, you kind of knew some of the answers. And, and almost like the, the, the pastor was even leading you on with the answer. And so I knew what to say, and he was like, okay, you guys can get married here. Yeah, so Stan and I were newly married, and so my brother in, invited me to church, and, and I went a couple times, and we were also trying to start a family, and that wasn't happening. So I was just really struggling. We were both struggling, and it was affecting our relationship. I was just crying out, and I didn't understand. It was mentioned that you could have a relationship with, with God, and I had never heard that before. It was foreign to me, so that was kind of a, a light going off for me, thinking, wow, I, I can have a relationship with Him. And she started going to church, and I believe she wanted me to go to church, so she kept asking me to go. And it was maybe a year or so later that I, I finally decided to go. 
and we sat up in the upper rafters of the church. And when we went and they started singing and they raised their hands, I was like, I am out of here. I just, I, I was so uncomfortable. Then maybe a month or two would go by and I would go back, they'd raise their hands. I'd be like, oh, this is just crazy. I'm not going again. I, I, I remember one, one service that the pastor was, was going through. And during the prayer time, he asked if, if there's anyone in the auditorium that just wants to take the next step. Wants to take the next step of whatever it is, whatever God has for you to just stand up. Everybody else's, their heads are bowed and you're standing up. But I did. And I didn't know what that meant. It was kind of funny because after that point, we would always sit up in the upper, the upper balcony of the church. And after that point, we would move to the middle balcony, the lower balcony, the back main stage or back main floor, the middle main floor, and eventually we moved up to the front floor. Lisa, at that point, she's already accepted Christ in her heart, but I, I haven't. So I know that her and her family have been praying for me at that time, and it, it, it finally happened. So about a year later, after standing up and just committing to God that I'm open, whatever, wherever you have me going, I'm, I'm open. So a, a year later, um, again, the pastor was talking about the gospel story and believing in Christ and that he is my savior and he died on the cross for me. He asked for those that believe in that to confess that in your heart. And at that moment, I did. And, and when it happened, this, this wave just went, went through me. And I do. Something, something happened. Something happened at that moment. And, and, and there was a change. And so in June of 2000, I was baptized. I just want to encourage anybody that is considering or wondering, ask. Just ask and seek out who Jesus is and know that he is a loving, open-armed God waiting, longing for people to come to him. absolutely love seeing those stories and I love seeing the story of God's pursuit of somebody's heart started out with Lisa and then a year later with her husband Stan and it's just so exciting to see lives change and to hear those stories and actually on here is both of their emails and they they were insistent that if there's anybody who wants to talk further about this with them. Maybe you're in that state in life right now where you're just confused or you're, you've never really heard about what it means to have a relationship with God. They wanted to make themselves available. Maybe it just can be an email dialogue. They'd love to get together for coffee with you at Starbucks if you wanted. But they wanted uh, to make that information available. If you're interested, you can take that down and shoot them an email and, uh, and arrange that. Well, I don't know where any of this lands um, with you guys here this morning. We've talked about a lot, and we've talked about how the whole Easter story can be a question mark or an exclamation point. 
But the same illustration is true of each one of us in our hearts. So for each one of us, I don't know which of those two you would resonate with more. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, man, there is confusion, there is angst, there is a space that I don't know how to fill and I would mark myself by that question mark as it pertains to my relationship with God. And maybe you've got all kinds of questions. Maybe a question that you have is, you know, am I worthy? God is so good and so holy and I've done so many things that, that I regret and it would be such so much shame and so much guilt if they were brought out into the light in front of a holy God. How can I possibly be worthy of this love that he showed? Well, in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, we read this. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still yet sinners, not when we looked our best, not when we cleaned ourselves up the most, not when we were doing the best things, but when we were down in the muck and in the mire. At our worst, Christ loved us then. So are you worthy? No, but none of us are. And that's what makes the cross so beautiful, that Jesus died for us when we were at our worst. Maybe you're asking yourself, okay, so what do I need to do? What do I need to do to take that question mark and to straighten that out into an exclamation point of confidence in my relationship with God? Well, the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved that's as easy as it is that's as simple as it is it doesn't mean your life's going to be easy and that everything's going to fall into place for you but it does mean that if you have faith in the one and only perfect son of god dying for your sins and put your confidence in his sacrifice so that you don't have to die and if you confess that with your mouth scripture says you will be saved this beautiful piece of wood up here is an illustration of where God's love and God's justice meet together. The wages of sin is death. Our penalty must be paid. And God is a God of justice. He can't just forget about it because he's holy. There's justice and there's love. And those came together in Jesus. And those came together on the cross. And that's the reason why the cross is so glorious. The cross is a death tool. You don't see people wearing around a t-shirt that's got an electric chair on it, right? You don't see people with, with earrings or with a necklace that's got a hangman's noose on it. You'd say they were mad. But this is so glorious because of what Jesus did for us. And we can celebrate even in the death of Jesus. It was for our sake that the healer became the wounded. He was despised so that we could become loved. He took our burdens so that you could be loosed of yours. And you too can have a resurrection this Sunday. There can be two. There could be dozens. Do you have a story, a resurrection story, of when you were spiritually dead and you came to that moment, you came to that decision, you came to faith, and you were then made alive? Our hope and our prayer is that we would hear many of those. Let's bow our heads together. Church this morning, visitors this morning. We've said much. And there's been a lot of information that's been given, but we just want to keep things 
simple here this morning. We recognize that this is a broken and a cruel world. We recognize and we believe that Jesus came to make broken things new. So if you're here this morning and you don't know what you would say to a holy God if he said, why should I let you into my heaven? I want you to know this morning that you can have confidence. The sinner's prayer has been spoken by millions, if not billions of people over the course of thousands of years. It's nothing magic in itself, but it's in your heart and in your mind if you believe that this will save you. So if you're here this morning and you want that hope, you want to take Jesus as your Lord, you believe in his cross, and you want to once and for all guarantee that you will have a relationship with him and an eternity with him. In your heart of hearts, just say something similar to this. Dear God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he came to pay the price for my sin and shame. I confess that I'm not worthy on my own. And I can't earn your righteousness no matter how hard I try. I invite you to come in as Lord of my life. I surrender my life to who you are. Make me new through the power of your son, Jesus.